Hi, welcome to Port Academy. I'm Esther Gaitan Fuertes. In November 2012, a conference workshop entitled Yoga, the Brain and Mental Health gathered scientists, psychologists, yoga therapists and teachers to discuss the latest research on the neurological, cognitive and emotional changes that the practice of yoga can bring about. The London Minded Institute, which specializes in the development and implementation of yoga therapy for mental health, was one of the promoters of the conference. I have had the opportunity to talk to Vina Ugago, a qualified yoga therapist who teaches at the Minded Institute. We spoke about her research on the benefits of yoga for stress-related mental disorders. I first started the interview asking Vina about her participation in the Yoga, the Brain and Mental Health Conference. Heather Mason, who um, the Minded Institute is her organisation, she partnered up with Jane Ryan um, from Confer, who organises a lot of kind of psychotherapy type in conferences. And they decided to put together a conference that really brings together these worlds of yoga and getting an understanding of what's the research that exists, how can we use these approaches to help people who are suffering with their mental health, um, suffering with anxiety, suffering with depression, people who are trying to manage symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. So they were really the, the three areas that we were very focused on. And we had... Speakers come um, from all over. We had um, Chris Streeter, who has published probably one of the most groundbreaking studies on yoga. Um, she looked at the effects of yoga on one of the main uh, neurotransmitters in the brain, GABA. It's an inhibitory neurotransmitter. And low levels of GABA are associated with anxiety. And what she found was that after doing an hour, an hour of yoga, when they imaged the brain of the people that did this, there were increases in their level of GABA. And she followed that initial study up um, with a study that looked at yoga versus walking so that we could rule out that it wasn't just that people were moving and doing exercise. So she came and spoke a lot about the, the kind of series of, of research projects that, that she did in that domain. And we also had Sarah Lazar, who um, she has a lab at Harvard Medical School, who does a lot of research on meditation. She came to speak about her research, which was really wonderful. And we also had um, Patricia Gerbarg and Richard Brown, who are, they are psychiatrists based in New York, and they bring a lot of breath work and um, movement work into the work that they do with some of their clients. They've also built up a body of research over the last kind of 10 or 15 years, um, taking some of this work out to some disaster hit zones. So really kind of taking an intervention out in these very, very kind of challenged situations where there's very little, if any, resource, um, no infrastructure in place, and teaching people to be able to use their breath in a way that is going to help them manage the psychological implications of what they have just been through and what they continue to go through. So they've worked with survivors of 9-11. They went out and did um, a really, really fascinating project looking at um, the effects of breath work on post-traumatic stress disorder, and that was with people who had been very, very badly hit in the um, uh, Southeast Asian tsunami in 2005, I think it was. They've done work with survivors of Hurricane Katrina, so these real kind of like large-scale disasters, taking that work there and, and really giving people the tools to help them help themselves. I think that's a very, very key part of this, 
it's giving people the confidence to know that they have these things that they can call upon and it's your breath's with you all the time you know so their their um presentation was was really wonderful satbia Khalsa was there who gave a really um great rundown of, of pretty much the main um, yoga research studies that exist um, in the domain of mental health. So there was a good a good range of speakers. We had a lot of workshops going on. Um, I spoke specifically about anxiety and, and really tried to help people distill this huge amount of information that it, that they'd received over the couple of days in the in the conference and help to kind of tease out. Okay, so how do we embed this practically? How do we use what we know and help people with anxiety and just making people making sure that people understand that you know there are things that we can do that might exacerbate a situation and kind of knowing those things um, so that they can put together something that's really going to help that person in the long term yeah so I was very very pleased with the um, the turnout we had a there was a lot of people there great response great feedback a lot of excitement in bringing these two worlds together and I think a lot of recognition and acknowledgement of the value of this approach for mental health and I think given that we are in a really really serious situation with the state of our mental health in society cannot be um, better timed I asked Bina about her work with the Minded Institute and the research that she has carried out with them I've been a yoga teacher since about 2008 and my teaching has always been and my practice had always been from a relaxation standpoint. I was never interested in getting super flexy or bendy or it was all really about managing stress and I came across a yoga therapy for mental health training that was run by a lady called Heather Mason and when I kind of started looking into the the ins and outs of this teacher training it, it really felt like it aligned with where I was coming from with my practice and with my teaching and um, I was studying psychology at the time and I thought you know this might be quite a nice little partnership so I embarked upon that training and was really really impressed by the way that Heather had brought together yoga with mindfulness in terms of a therapeutic intervention that's been really well researched and and is pretty much established as something that's helpful for things like anxiety and depression. She married this up with yoga as an intervention to help people kind of self-regulate when pure mindfulness on its own is is just kind of too difficult to access. And as well as that um, little partnership of, of yoga and mindfulness, she was also bringing together what we understand in terms of neuroscience and what we know can happen with brain changes when we use yoga or meditation practice. So I was really, really kind of blown away almost by how validated I felt my approach and my teaching had been and was very, very happy to learn that there was kind of some like Western scientific um, principles, you know, underlying a lot of this stuff and and that really, really impressed me to the point where I felt like I had to do this work. I'd, I'd kind of gone to that course thinking, you know, this might inform the way that I teach, but I left that course feeling that I really had to do this work. And during that teacher training, Heather had mentioned a lot of kind of anecdotal feedback from clients that she'd worked with in the past. Um, And I felt that it would be really helpful and and necessary, really, to try and get some evidence-based data to support um, that anecdotal feedback that she was getting from her clients 
specifically really if we wanted to take this into organisations like the NHS. It was, it was really about talking their language. So I approached her and asked her if, if she would be open to me doing some research on um, one mode of the approach, which is the eight-week yoga therapy for the mind course. And um, she agreed, and we partnered up with Roehampton University, um, a gentleman there called Dr. Um, Lee Gibson, and we partnered with Satbir Khalsa, who is based at Harvard Medical School and who really does know everything there is to know about any yoga research that exists at the moment. And we set about, we designed a weightless control um, research project. So we started off with about 26 people, um, but like any project, you do get a few dropouts. And we ended with um, 22 people, 11 people in each group. And we had 11 of those people go straight into doing the course. And the other 11 people waited. They, they formed the weightless control part of the, of the research. And the measures that we took were um, measures of anxiety and depression. We used um, hospital anxiety depression scale. We also took measures of resilience, of well-being and of mindfulness. So we had um, the participants of that research complete those, those questionnaires, those instruments, before and after they took the course. Um, and for the weightless control group, that period before the waitlist as well. Um, the results of that uh, research project were really, really very promising. We were very, very pleased. We had increases in everything, you know, across the whole board, except for one of the um, mindfulness measures, which did increase. It just mm -hmm. didn't hit that that mark to be significant. Um, but nevertheless, we feel, you know, it's small numbers, but that seems to be the nature of yoga research because. Um, if you're going to deliver a yoga intervention, its very nature means that it really can't be um, a big group, especially if it's a mental health intervention, because that can really play a role in how effective that might be. So, yeah, Heather and I, we continue to work together. I actually lecture now on her teacher training, so we've just had another group um, complete and graduate, and we will have a new group starting in February 2013, so we have about 30 people um, pretty much ready to, to go on that group as well. What do you teach in yoga therapy? Is it a mental, a physical therapy, or is it a combination of the two? It's, it's a mind-body approach, so I would say it's more than just a physical therapy, certainly when you bring the mindfulness aspect into it as well. Um, so I think um, probably the easiest way to explain it is that we're, we're kind of teaching people to be able to self-regulate, first of all, so to recognise when they're feeling maybe anxious or hyper-aroused or very stressed out and to take some action to be able to just kind of take the edge off of that and to calm the nervous system. And also, likewise, to recognise when there might be a sense of depression or feeling low and to be able to take some, some action to lift the nervous system and to energise a little bit. So really kind of teaching people, first of all, that recognition of what's happening and, and to be able to take that observer standpoint to recognise this is how I am right now. And then to be able to, to take those steps to make a change in the right way, in a helpful way. Um, so I guess that's kind of the first part, which is probably more where the yoga comes in because the regulation is through things like particular postures that might lift or lower the nervous system, particular breath practices. And 
Through the yoga practice itself, I think it's fair to say that the mindfulness is inherent in that. It's very much bringing you to the present moment and having an awareness of what is happening here and now. And it can, it's not impossible to practice yoga mindlessly, um, but I think it's a practice that's very conducive to developing mindfulness, to really concentrating on, on focusing on what's happening now. And then once people kind of develop more of a tolerance, um, for the things that they're doing for example in the in the beginning it might be very difficult for someone who's very very anxious and hyper aroused to do a practice that lifts the nervous system it might be too much especially if you've got someone who's prone to panic attacks it might push them into that zone um, so it's really about just kind of building that tolerance to get an individual to a stage where actually they then have the tolerance to do something like a, bre a lifting breath practice that might before have pushed them into panic, but actually they've, they've built that ability to be able to, to deal with that. And in that sense, what we're doing then is we're not just kind of looking at what can we manage in the here and now and what can we help in the here and now. We're looking at a more long-term strategy. So trying to build resilience into the nervous system over the long term. And, and it's like exercising or building a muscle you know you have to kind of work it to its two extremes but within its tolerance to be able to keep it healthy and to keep it resilient and that's the exact same thing that we're doing with the nervous system so it's not just about teaching someone who's anxious how to relax it's about teaching them and I'll use this word again within their tolerance to be able to have their nervous system be resilient enough to manage that lift that sense of stimulation or that energy and to know that they can actually regulate themselves. And when they're at that point, we can then start to bring in more pure mindfulness. So there's a little bit of a paradox that's going on because something that's inherent in mindfulness is that you are watching what's happening, but you are not trying to change it. So there's a, there's a little bit of a kind of tension there in what we're doing because, as I say initially, there's a lot of regulation. But we, we work to get people to the point where they can then actually be able to notice what's happening in that pure mindfulness sense without needing to regulate, but having the confidence that they have those skills if they need to. Who are more interested in learning about the benefits of yoga in the treatment of mental health disorders? Health professionals or yoga teachers? I think it's quite interesting because for the last couple of years we've had quite an even split of yoga teachers that were coming and wanting to learn more about how they could um, focus their work to a mental health population and um, half of those people were mental health professionals who wanted to learn how they could maybe bring some breath practices into what they do, um, use some postures with their clients, with their patients. And um, it seems to be shifting a little bit now to, to be more um, of an interest from people like clinical psychologists. We've already had um, a few clinical psychologists train with us and graduate. Um, there seems to be more interest from that side of the audience, um, which is very, very interesting and I think very encouraging in terms of people recognising that, you know, if we want to address things that are going on in the mind, that we can actually harness um, what's going on in the body as well as a resource and that there really is no kind of split between the two. Is there an open-minded approach from the scientific community to this research works on yoga and mental health? Um, 
I think so, and it's a, it's my my opinion is obviously very subjective and and very much based on the world that I operate in. So I you know I'm surrounded by people that are probably um, more so open to this approach than not. Um, so I think it's very difficult to give a, a real objective answer to that. However, my feeling is that yes, there is um, more of certainly an interest. I would I would absolutely say that there is an interest. And I think there's definitely a recognition that, um, you know, what happens in the mind has an effect on the body and what happens in the body has an effect on the mind. And we can really kind of potentialise on the interdependence between those two things um, and, you know, really try to use the body to help heal the mind and, and vice versa. You know, it's a, it's a two-way street. And I, I very much think that there is a recognition of that relationship and um, there's certainly, I, I hear a lot of people using breath techniques and teaching people how to breathe in a way that is going to be helpful in the moment, especially in anxiety, um, to kind of um, underpin or to, to help people in, with things like exposure therapy. So I, I think, yeah, in answer to your question, I think there's definitely more of an openness to, to mind-body approaches. I think we are probably further away than I would like um, to be to to expect that you know we we can see yoga on the nice guidelines any time in the in the near future, but I don't think it's impossible, and I think that's what's important, and I think we just need to do more research um, to to really kind of push this forward, and to be able to to get this recognised as something that can be helpful for many different conditions. Um, not just mental health, although that is my area. I think it will happen. I don't know when, um, but I'm hopeful that it, that it will be relatively soon. So you see a continuity in your research on the application of yoga in mental health therapy? Absolutely, yeah. I think it's vital. I think, I think it's the only way that it's really going to push this, this approach forward. Um, I very much kind of think that it would take the path that mindfulness did Um, so, um, as I say, there's, there's probably about 20, even more years worth of research on mindfulness um, with many different groups of people, with different populations in terms of things like addiction, things like um, populations with people with cancer. And I feel like yoga is almost kind of following that lead, similar kind of research projects things that look at psychological outcomes, which are very, very important, but also some qualitative research that looks a little bit more deeper at what are the, um, what are the themes that are coming up for people when they embark upon an intervention like this, um, what are the ways that they feel that they're getting some sort of positivity from doing this work, um, and also things like neuroimaging studies, which again give us a different level of explanation. You know, they, they can tell us what's happening in the brain um, when we embark upon some of these practices, either whether it be in that moment or over a period of time of practicing something every day, for example. And, but I also think it's important to stress that this really is a, a bringing together of, um, I guess, Western science with this Eastern philosophy and Eastern practices. And it's really not about undermining um, anyone's experience. Um, it's not about having to validate anyone's experience. It's about making this as accessible to as many people as possible. And that's why we need the, we need the research. 
Do you think that the current popularity of yoga as another form of fitness exercise has affected the quality of yoga teaching? I think it's a really good question. I think I don't think it's something that I can answer. I think I, I can probably contribute to the debate, certainly. I feel like anyone that is is really kind of allowing their senses to, to drop within rather than just being um, consumed with what is going on outside of them is practicing yoga on it on its very kind of um, most surface level if you like so for me whether that is being done in a yoga class that's been taught in a 40 degree room whether it's being done in a shala in front of you know some kind of temple or um, and whether that teacher is someone who is dressed completely in white or full of tattoos, it, it's almost like it's very difficult to, to kind of say, yes, I think this teacher teaches well or teaches from the right place. Or I think you can only really know when you've experienced that teacher's teaching. Um, and like I say, for me, it's really about taking on board that you're not just doing this physical practice that you're not just trying to get flexible strength is is probably something different i think if you can develop a sense of physical strength that can contribute to a sense of, of inner strength and a sense of emotional strength and you know it's such a huge discipline i think as long as as people are developing that sense of confidence developing that sense of how they want to live their life in a, in a way that makes sense to them and that gives them that sense of peace to me that is yoga it's not about following a particular series or a particular doctrine it's really about something that as long as it's it's harnessing those those eight aspects of ashtanga yoga to me that is that is practicing yoga you don't have to be on your mat to be practicing yoga I hope this podcast has helped you to discover a new perspective on yoga and its benefits for our health. You may find a wide selection of podcasts on very interesting topics on our website www.podacademy.org.